folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everybody, Matthew Collar here. In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Gold. The show gives you 10-minute episodes about soccer legends and the moments that made them. And whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or you're a diehard fan, this is a great podcast for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now, or you can binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. What is up, Courtney? Well, it kind of feels like we're one step closer to actually getting to training camp. So I'm feeling optimistic on this morning that we're recording. I think that after we talked with the Vikings yesterday, um, I didn't walk away knowing too, too much that we didn't already know. Um, But it does feel like we're getting closer to actually being out in Egan and being able to do our jobs. I'm excited about that. Yes. Oh, me too. I mean, training camp is super fun for us Uh, reporters. I mean, now we'll have to socially distance six feet away so we won't be able to huddle under the scoreboard, the only area where there's a little bit of shade. But hide hide under hide under those tents during rainstorms. Yes. Yes. Uh, Or putting on a, a poncho of which there is a, famous video of someone putting on a poncho that I won't talk about anymore. But uh, anyway, it's, it's always fun. It's always funny, weird, random stuff happens. Players uh, rise and fall. We fight over the 53rd man on the roster who gets cut like two days later. We make uh, milkshake bets out there for who's going to make the team and everything else. Last year, Laquan Treadwell helped me win a milkshake from another reporter by not making the team. So, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a time to kind of you know, get, get everything together, write our big features, talk to players. It's one of my favorite times of year, and this year it's going to be a lot more messy. But two days ago, Courtney, I thought this might not happen for a really long time because the NFL dragged the hell out of its feet getting everything ready when it came to the health and safety measures. And then uh, they started to get together and they started to work these things out. And it seems like they've come to agreements, including not having preseason, or at least that's what is reported. And uh, I have said a couple of times, I'm completely on board with that. Now it just seems like they've got the health measures, they've got the preseason deal, and now it's about getting the rest of the money figured out. Uh, because they are going to lose an approximate somewhere in the range of $4 billion by not having fans or only 25% of stadiums full. Yeah, I mean, we the big thing going forward is how is that going to affect the salary cap that, you know, from $198 million roughly per team to what could potentially drop down to, you know, $130, $140 million a team. I mean, there's been a lot of numbers reported out there. The good thing, I think, with their CBA is they can spread – out those type of losses over the 10-year length of that deal. Um, So it should certainly help. But, you know, as we talk about contracts that still need to be, you know, extensions that still need to be worked out, a Dalvin Cook extension, other players out there, Jamal Adams, um, and a potential trade, and, like, you know, league-wide, teams are trying to figure out, okay, what is this going to look like beyond this year? I mean, people weren't holding back during free agency, and that was in March. Like, had free agency, had it been delayed, 
like we thought it might have been, would those deals have still been – I think we still would have seen quarterbacks change teams at the rate that they did. But would those deals have been – as astronomical in some cases. I don't know because Miles Garrett just signed that massive deal with Cleveland and they don't seem to, that deal doesn't seem to scream any sort of impact about a potential salary cap lowering by absurd numbers. But then again, um, it's been a slow process for a reason. And I think that this has always kind of been on the horizon, but at least now we know, you know, they're getting one step closer to being back out there. I think the question that you and I get all the time is, well, when does training camp actually start? Cause you know, Sean McVay said this on a podcast the other day, and I honestly think he was the only head coach I had heard mention that, yeah, it's absolutely going to be pushed back. Like, and I just think with the testing protocols that we do know at the moment, um, it will definitely be there at some point. Like, so the players, just to clarify, um, there was a memo that the league went on another memo binge yesterday afternoon mm-hmm. around, you know, 4 p.m. on Monday, and, and they sent that, like, okay, Players, you have to get tested several times before you're allowed to be in, allowed into the building. And so what it what it's going to be? So like we know rookie Vikings rookie excuse me Vikings rookies report on the 24th, um, which are it's Thursday the 23rd. So we know that they will be in the building not right that day because it's day one you have to get a COVID test. There's day two and day three are no COVID tests. Day four is a COVID test. And then the daily COVID testing begins on day five. So if you have a negative result from testing on day one and four, you can enter the club facility for the first time. So what does that mean? I think, and you and I have talked about this, we're not going to see any sort of actual physical activity that resembles a football practice until the beginning, if not the middle of August. Like, it does not seem feasible that they're just going to like let guys in on day five. I mean, it's, it's just unrealistic to think they're going to go in and they'll be on the field. Um, there's got to be conditioning. I know that the NFLPA is trying with this incubation period to make that a big thing. But beyond that, like, you know, there were, and, there, and if, like you said, if there's no preseason games, then I think they can kind of delay this and slow play this even further. They want to be ready for the season. We know that but I just don't think these guys are going to actually be on the field because they still have to have in-classroom instruction when they're all in the same room together. It's going to be very different than the digital learning that they did. So I would say for anybody still asking about that, just probably expect August at the very earliest that we're going to be out there. Yeah, I'd guess the the middle of August is when yeah. they actually start getting on the field and practicing. And then the NFLPA only wants, I think, two weeks or so of actual padded practices leading mm-hmm. up to the season. And I think that we're going to find out that the, these players now treat this as a 365-year uh, or day-a-year type of job and that a lot of them are a lot more ready than maybe they would have been in, say, 1996 or so, <laughs> um, and that they don't use training camp as the time to get in shape. They're already in shape and uh, ready to play, and once they get these padded practices in, they'll be ready to go. And you know what? If there is one ugly week of football, then there's one ugly week of football, and then everybody will get into it. Um, you know, I, I know it drives coaches absolutely insane, but they have had all off season to install these things. And now they just have to get on the field, put them in, and they should be able to play if, if they can have that conditioning. But I, I agree that middle of August is probably about the time. Now, what is your take? Cause, uh, haven't heard from you on these two topics in, in a little bit on Zimmer's contract, not having one. And as far as we know, Rick Spielman as well and Delvin yeah. Cook as we approach training camp. Because I think once you get into camp with Zimmer, that's the end of that conversation. I, it would really surprise me if they if he was still negotiating a deal once he's coaching. Um, and with Delvin Cook, the clock is really ticking here over the next few days for him to get there. Otherwise, he could lose that accrued season. Yeah, I think with Delvin Cook, I'll address that one first. Um, the holdout doesn't benefit him. We've known this since the CBA was rectified uh, back in March. Like he gets the fines go up to 50 grand a day for somebody making 1.3 million on the final year of his rookie deal. That's a lot. And they don't just magically disappear like they used to in the past, like, you know, in good faith from the team, it was like a handshake agreement. So that's one. But then you mentioned like, if he, if he's not there, if he leaves early, like you lose a year towards free agency and you're restricted free agency, you're hurting yourself with your earnings that you could potentially be making the following year as a free agent. 
in 2021 when it is a that is going to be a year for rookie, for running backs during free agency because there are a lot Derrick Henry was, was part of that group but obviously signed the big deal last week um I think we see something happen as he's getting to camp so maybe within the coming days it doesn't if, if it's going to happen at all um it doesn't make sense for the Vikings to not pay him at this rate um I just think with everything that's gone on and all of the lip service that's been out there and like just the 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 perception I mean he's on season ticket campaigns all things like that across the web the team official website like clearly they value this guy but do they value him at a 13 million dollar a year type salary I don't know and it's been so quiet and I think a lot of that has to do with the salary cap for sure and just trying to figure out okay what are they going to do with their finances for the next year it's probably why we didn't see much of a long-term deal you know talked about at all really I mean it was talked about you know in, in the very beginning stages but why didn't happen with Anthony Harris so I think that something will get done with Dalvin, um, but that's something that's such a fluid situation. But like what you mentioned with Zimmer, um, and I've been tracking that since January, and I know kind of some of the terms that were at least laid out there early on, you know, a multi-year extension from his camp is what was being proposed, but we didn't see anything happen. And for Rick Spielman, too, since both of their contracts are synced up, they, they both are at risk right now of going into kind of lame duck status. You just don't see it that often with um with with coaches in the NFL you just don't that they're kind of coaching for their jobs I bet he'll get another one-year extension beyond this and if he doesn't then I think that they are is very much pointing to the fact that they're ready to blow it up next year I think uh it if I'm Zimmer I'm not taking a one-year extension I'm saying you either lock into me or I'm going to coach somewhere else and we know this from Somebody like, I mean, go through the names in the past, but somebody recently like Mike McCarthy, who at the end of his era in Green Bay, it was in terrible shape. He wasn't getting yeah. along with the quarterback. They were losing games. I mean, that's uh, much worse than what we project for this year for the Vikings to be a competitive team. So if he's gone through all this and been consistently competitive and had one of the best defenses in the league and is good this year on defense and they let him go through the entire season and become a free agent – He's going to have offers. Coaches will get fired. And there's, there's a half dozen coaches that you can point to right now off the top of your head who could easily be fired. How about Atlanta? If they're not very good, they're going to need a new coach. Jacksonville could very well need a new coach. How about the New York Jets? They could need a new coach as well. So when you can come up with three, four, five, six teams even before the season that are likely to end up with coaching changes, if you're Zimmer, those teams will give you five years. Plus, you know, you look at what someone like Matt Rule got uh, in terms of his contract sure. in Carolina. I think he's the anomaly, personally. I think that's just Dave Tepper not knowing really how this whole thing works. Sure, but it does set a, a precedent, right, for somebody Maybe. who is already a proven coach to say, all right, well, this guy got this, so, you know, I'm going to need a bigger contract. You know that if the Jets are terrible again and they fire Adam Gase, that they're going to be looking for a proven coach as opposed sure. to someone like Gase. My point is just that you always know coaches are going to get fired, and if I'm Zimmer, I'm going into it saying, either give me a four- or five-year contract extension, lock me into being your head coach, or I'm going to become a free agent and go pick my own location out of three or four teams because you know that one of those teams is going to hire somebody with his record. And the Delvin Cook thing, I'm, I'm sorry we're bouncing back and forth on this, uh, but the parameters are set, sign it or don't. I mean, yeah. Derrick Henry, uh, you got to clear Derrick Henry because – Delvin Cook is more versatile than Derrick Henry. He plays more than Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry rarely clears 40 snaps in a game. Delvin Cook routinely clears 50 snaps in a game. It's a, it's just a different play. And Delvin's play. a true three-down back. Like, right. Derrick Henry is not. Like, exactly. But that type of deal, I think that's the one thing you learn from a deal like that is to get paid as a running back, you have to be dynamic. You cannot be a one-trick pony. I mean, we knew this, but it just it very much clarified because look at Melvin Gordon's situation. Look at all the other running backs that didn't make, you know, the mega bucks. I mean, even in Austin Eckler. I mean, people were saying, and I know that that wasn't exactly, um, you know, the name that you would have thought you would have heard, but I know that there are people saying, hey, that's a great deal. Dalvin should be thankful if he could get a deal like that. I still think he's a, he's a much better running back, obviously, and I still think he deserves to be in that echelon if David Johnson's getting paid $13 million a year. And what you mentioned with Dalvin, if you're asking him to carry the ball 250 plus times a year and 
you know, he's, he's an effective, you know, use him more in the receiving game. Like Gary's got to open that up for him this year because we just haven't seen it nearly enough in the first three years of his career. But yeah, no, I mean, you have to clear that, but I think that that's a good parameter. It's great. It's the way it's structured, the guarantees, the length, the way it looks right now. And, and just given how pertinent Derrick Henry is, if you want another year out of Ryan Tannehill that resembles 2019, you need to have Derrick Henry. It's kind of a similar argument you can make with Kirk Cousins and getting to the playoffs and getting over that hump and, and just how vital Dalvin Cook was in that. So I, I tell people all the time, just kind of keep your, keep your ear to the ground on it. Like, you know, it's, something's going to pop at some point, one way or another, whether we find out he's not showing up to camp, which I just can't, I just don't see it. I think the holdout will end because Dalvin's smarter than knowing, like, you know, I think sometimes just like emotions run high. I mean, it's so unprecedented to announce a um a holdout six weeks ahead of training camp, which yeah. is what happened. But, you know, the Vikings, they've always kind of felt like they've got time on their side, which they that's why they didn't rush to do anything. And, and typically we see these things happen July. You know, I won't use dates because everything's screwed up now, but it's like three days before camp, two days before camp, on the night before camp, like those type of things happen. So I'd say that if we don't hear something within the next five, six days, then you know, maybe this does go longer. Before we get back to the conversation, want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Baseball is back, and SodaStick just launched its latest partnership with Hormel Foods and the Tommy Watkins Foundation to pay homage to the Hormel Row of Fame. It debuted in the Metrodome in 1992, and though it's been long retired, you have an opportunity to check out the latest t-shirt called the Wiener Winner. Great for lunch, great for dinner. You remember how the song goes. For every t-shirt sold, Hormel Foods will donate $10 up to $10,000 to Tommy Watkins Foundation's backpack program supporting Twin Cities youth. We're going to hook you up also with free shipping for your Wiener Winner shirt. Use promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's sodastick.com, S-O-T-A, S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. When players get fined and when this accrued season won't happen, is it July 28th? I think it is. I, yeah, I, I think, think it's, that it's the first day. It's mandatory. Yeah. It's the day he's supposed to be there. So so we've got, uh, as this is being published, let me do the math on Wednesday. So that would be what? We've got about six days in order for that for that to get done. Uh, so here's how it looks with the running backs. I think the parameters are right there for them. And it's all about whether the Vikings want to do it or not and whether Delvin Cook wants to fight to try and be paid higher than the highest paid running back. Um, but I, I just don't think that that's realistic considering that Christian McCaffrey is the premier player in the league at that position. He averages five yards a carry and catches 100 passes. Like nobody is better than Christian McCaffrey. He's making $16 million a year, $30 million fully guaranteed. So you're not getting to that number. And Derrick Henry, you know you're better than him and more versatile than him. He's making twelve and a half per year and $25.5 million guaranteed. Somewhere in the middle of that, somewhere between 25 and 30 guaranteed, somewhere between 12 and 16, that's mm-hmm. where Delvin Cook is. It's right in that Ezekiel Elliott or David Johnson type of ballpark. And there aren't that many running backs that we can even work with here, which actually makes it easier. Like, here's the five guys who get paid at this position. Delvin Cook's there. If the Vikings want to do it, then that's the price that you're going to have to do it for. And if you're Delvin's side, that's the price you're going to have to be realistic about. I know he's great at football, but you can't, you know, you can't argue that he's been better than Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey is fully healthy. He plays every single snap, catches a hundred passes. I mean, like that you're not, you're not arguing, Hey, he's better than Christian McCaffrey. So um, I, it really comes down to, for me, whether the Vikings want to pay a running back this much. I think that it comes down to just that fundamental conversation. Is this what you want? And if you don't, then you're going to roll with Alexander Madison and Mike Boone and let Delvin Cook sit. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that that's it. And and you think about it. They didn't just draft Alexander Madison to become, you know, a Latavius Murray 2.0 as a really good, really efficient backup. They drafted him potentially to be his replacement because they knew that they were going to be at this spot, um, that they'd be forced to either pay him or not pay him. So it will very much kind of sh- for, um, shed, a sp- shed a light on what happened two years ago if they end up letting Dalvin walk and kind of, I think, 
moving forward, show what their view is on running backs if they don't pay him, and that that will be their strategy going forward, where every two to three years they go draft another one, um, like a lot of teams do. But, like, if they're not even going to entertain the thought of paying him, then that's, that shows you. Like, you can look back at that and say that is exactly why they did it. I'm already doing it because I know it's why they did it. But, like, I think in just, you know, general public can be like, oh, that makes sense. But, you know, either way, like you mentioned, I mean, it's very easy now sign a deal because the parameters have been laid forth for the guys that are better than you and kind of where you fall into the mix within that elite top five or six running backs in the NFL. Um, And if you don't want to do that, trade him like before the end of the week, because that's okay. It's a justifiable position. It is a very justifiable position for the Vikings to say, look, we love you, Delvin Cook. We put you on the season ticket holder thing. We put you on the schedule thing. We love what you did last year. We love you as a guy. You're wonderful. However, we just don't want to pay this much with cap uncertainty in the future to a running back when we have a large quarterback contract already to deal with. So thanks for the memories. We're going to trade you to whoever. I mean, that, that is a totally fine position, but don't let it sit. Either sign him or trade him. Do not let it sit here and have him lose his accrued season and have him have to, to get these fines and everything else. I, I don't think that's the right way to handle it. Either make a decision on his deal and give it to him or don't because you know exactly what the parameters are, so you have to either just do it or move on from him and get whatever it is, a fourth-round draft pick, a second round. I don't know what someone's trading for Delvin Cook a third round pick if they've got to sign them yeah. to. So anyway, uh, I wanted to, we'll keep an eye on those situations, sure. of course. And as soon as we get breaking news, emergency pods do happen. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you also about the defensive side. Arif Hassan and I went through all of the offensive positions and what the most interesting storylines and battles will be. So on the defensive line, there's a lot there on the defensive line, Courtney, to talk about, because I can't figure out who else is going to be rotating in aside from DJ Wanham, possibly, but still a rookie on the defensive line. Uh, I I don't know yet exactly how good Armand Watts is going to be, but I think he's going to be a big part of this defensive line situation. Uh, James Lynch, I think, has a chance to get himself in there. And then there are two dark horses on the defensive line for becoming significant players, and that would be Eddie Yarborough and Anthony Zettel, two guys Mm -hmm. that they signed with very little fanfare but have a chance. And then there's also your Hercules Mata'afa and Jalen Holmes, two guys they tried to make rotational players last year, and it didn't work. So what what are you thinking for most interesting storyline on the defensive line? Well, I always start out with um, Shamar Stefan. That, to me, is like figuring out, do they really want to try to upgrade that three-technique spot? Because you go from Sheldon Richardson, you know, 2018 season to where Stefan was last year. And, I mean, it was a, it was a big, big difference uh, just in types in terms of type of player. And when you have somebody that they have raved about, you know, by and large, I guess as much as you can do for um, a guy that you haven't even seen on the field, but with James Lynch and even a Hercules Mata'afa, whose name keeps getting brought up there, and maybe even a Jalen Holmes, like, do we see Shamar Stefan not make the roster potentially? Like, that's one of the bigger position battles that I look at um, on this defensive line, and I know that they've had so much turnover across the board there, um, you know, with, with replacing Michael Pierce for, for Linville Joseph, and we, Everson Griffin still hasn't signed anywhere, but at this point, Afadio Denebo, that's his job. You know, the one to me that's not locked in at all is Shamar Stefan and figuring out what they do at that three technique spot. Um, so I'm really, really curious about how that's going to go because. You know, when you look at like what the, um, you know, what the financial implications of like they're so they're like it's like three point seven five or three point seven six million. That's how much they would be responsible for of Stefan's salary if he's released. But um, you know, he's a two down three tech and he's a run stopper and he's not great at it's just not a, a great part of that pass rush. I mean, you'd have to figure out how you're going to replace what he brought you in that sense, but. Um, I think, you know, maybe a Jalen Holmes, like, you know, may, you know, who, who knows what he is? We don't know yet. Like, that's the thing, like, because we haven't seen him play. But James Lynch seems to be kind of a perfect fit for that role 
um, you know, an inside outside type player. And even Hercules Mata'afa, if he can improve from where he was at last year in minimal usage in 2019, maybe that's a role that they fill kind of, you know, with the committee in a way. Yeah, I could see that outcome, or I could also see Lynch not being ready because he's switching positions. Sure, sure. Holmes, Holmes and Mata'afa being the same players that we saw last year, and Armand Watts becoming a star, a starter, a guy who plays all the time. Maybe I'm too high on what I saw from just one week of tape in Week 17 and a handful of other appearances. But he was a beast in the times that he got in. He made significant impact he rushed the passer. He stuffed the run. Uh, you know, he looked like a guy that would be a, a starter and looked like someone who could be much more effective than Shamar Stefan. Crazy stat for you is that Armand Watts was only in a little bit and played one game and ended up with four pressures in, in very, very limited usage. I'm talking about like 100 snaps. And Shamar Stefan had 580 snaps last year and had six quarterback pressures. And also, he... This is one of the guys that they love, and I get that, and he seems to be a really smart player and was effective on about 25% of snaps in 2017, so they've got that in their mind. But last year, PFF has him as the 64th out of 74 rated defensive tackles, and not even a a great run grade. It's not like he's got a, a 90 out of 100 run grade and then just doesn't rush the passer like Michael Pierce would do for them. You understand why you want Michael Pierce to plug up a bunch sure. of gaps, stop on first down. But teams throw on first down half the time now. So you know, I think that they should be willing to give up a little bit there uh, and be able to pressure the quarterback still on first down. So Watts is the guy that I'm really looking at. But as far as all everyone else, it, it's just totally up in the air. And I would say the same thing for the defensive end rotational position that I'm going to have my eye on Yarborough and Zettel because yeah. the door is wide open for them as veteran players in the NFL to be more ready than Kenny Wilkies, DJ Wanham, or, or any other young player that's going to try to come off the edge. Yeah, those two guys, the last two you mentioned, are just their projects at this point. And I mean, even James Lynch's, I just know that, you know, from the interior pass rush perspective the Vikings need to improve there because you're going to have a Fadi you don't have Stephen Weatherly anymore going inside on third down you're not going to be having a Fadi Odenabo probably do the same thing because you, you know, he's got to be playing Everson Griffin's role which is a lot more snaps than he's used to so can you trust that those guys would be ready like the interior guys maybe I, but like as you as you mentioned with the defensive end rotation I mean Willa Keys is the guy I did a 53 projection that drops on Wednesday I believe um and, you know, that's that's a guy that I think would potentially, you know, be a good fit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Wanham, obviously, the, the pet cat, the fourth-round pick <laughs> that uh, Andre Patterson loves. But are they really going to be ready? I'm not sure, which is why you might have to rely on these bargain bin um, defensive ends, like the guys that they signed in free agency. Um, but I think Zettel makes a lot of sense because the group is so young already to begin with. Um you know, you've, you've got to shore up that rotation somehow, and I just think that that's probably where you go with it. Zettel has kind of a funny career. Uh, Arif was joking the other day about if you have a good game against a team, they'll probably sign you down the road after you're washed up. And, uh, I mean, Zettel has a good season in 2017. Legit good. Um, uh, uh, PFF credited him with seven sacks, 43 pressures, on 427 pass rush snaps, which is, you know, one about every 10. That's a a good rate for a defensive end. And then he just disappears. He goes to Mm -hmm. Cleveland, he barely plays. He goes to Cincinnati and then San Francisco and barely plays. And I don't know what I'm supposed to think of someone that has not really done anything since 2017. I mean, this is his shot uh, with the door wide open. But it is funny to go back to 2017. Guess which team he has the highest grade against for any game in 2017? At Minnesota, he got eight (laughs) pressures and two sacks in only 17 pass rush uh, 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 snaps. uh, I mean, that's like that would be like a, a baseball player hitting 220 for their career and then having a four home run game is basically what mm-hmm. Anthony Zettel did against the Vikings. Although, you know, the tackle position is not always lock solid with the Vikings. So I guess you do have a lot of players having career games. But, I mean, a guy who hasn't really done a thing since then. So 
I don't know what to think of him. I don't know what to think of Eddie Yarborough. I just know that it's going to be really tough for a project like DJ Wanham to be better than two veteran players right away, even though long-term they see him as being very good. Um, the linebacker position, Courtney, is is set for life with Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks. There's no competition there. There's no competition for the number three spot, which is Eric Wilson, who I think yeah. is a valuable weapon for them as more teams do what the Vikings and what the 49ers did with multiple tight ends or putting in a fullback. If you have someone who can cover like Eric Wilson – you're in good shape. The battle to me is Cameron Smith, Troy Die, and is there anything left of Ben Gideon is pretty much all I've got for linebacker. Yeah, and I think that the Troy Dye, um, when he was drafted, that kind of signified even further the beginning of the end for Ben Gideon, who was just not a multidimensional linebacker that you need in today's game. And, and you know, Die is good enough in coverage, and I think he's – really athletic, so he's kind of – and they always look to those linebacker spots to be able to shore up special teams, Um, and you have to be really good on special teams as a linebacker. That's how Cameron Smith was able to kind of stick around last year and could potentially fill that role again this year. I mean, heck, that's how Eric Wilson got started. So um, I think if if I'm picking my linebackers to make the roster, maybe I go with five. Um, and, and because I'm, I'm saving, I'm like doing the math in my head right now. So as we know with pie charts, this might not be accurate math, <laughs> but um, I think seven corners right now um, are probably is probably going like nine on the D line, five linebackers, and then I'll do my math for the rest of it. But the five I go with are Barr, Kendricks, Die, Wilson, and Smith. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think that I, I don't know enough about like the Jordan Fairs or, um, you know, Blake Lynch or any of those guys, like just in, in DeMarcus Gates, too, is one of the, somebody they signed in free agency. Can they be special teams aces? Like, you know, maybe. I think Fair is somebody who had, like, a really, really good, um, you know, just athletic numbers. So um, if, if that's if that's the case, then maybe. But that this is where they go for special teams depth. So I think it's um, I think it's very obvious that the numbers game here could be five or six dependent on that. But I just I don't see Ben Gideon making this roster this year. I think the writing has been on the wall for a while. He's been injured a lot, um, and he just doesn't really add that much more when you're constantly in your nickel. That's their starting defense. Yeah, and even when you're in your base, you want Eric Wilson out there because he can stuff the run, but he is also out there if they run play action and he can cover and he can run with tight ends. And that's just something Ben Gideon can't do. It was a questionable draft pick at the time that they took Ben Gideon. And then he kind of fell into this role where he was pretty decent, 2017, 2018, but injuries have also caught up with him as well. He got hurt multiple times last season and it's not a position that has a whole lot of value in the NFL anymore if, like you said, you're not a special teams ace. If you are a special teams ace, then, okay, maybe we'll work you in every once in a while in a goal line package or something like Mm -hmm. that. But Wilson's emergence makes him not necessary really on the roster, and maybe there's another team that needs a run stuffer that would pick him up. Now the corners, uh, this is where it gets – It's going to be fun. This is where it gets wild. Uh, give Give me your depth chart right now. Uh, for the cornerbacks. Okie doke. So I've got seven on my 53 projection. I was right about that. Um, so my depth chart is Mike Hughes, Jeff Gladney, Holton Hill, Chris Boyd, Cam Dantzler, Harrison Hand, and Neville Clark. The Neville Clark one is is kind of interesting because every draft person that I talk to, and, and I know that he's 23, but brings up Neville Clark as someone who they were surprised wasn't picked and, and could emerge in training camp. Yeah, I have it the exact same way with Mike Hughes playing nickel. Do you have him playing nickel? I do because I don't know if they're going to sign anybody. Like, it, well, it's all it's all it's all contingent upon do they sign a veteran here because there's quite a bit out there. Um, you know, I mean, Logan Ryan's still out there. Keeb Talib is still out there. Um, I know there's a big list of guys that. You know, you can get uh, Drake Kirkpatrick. I mean, remember when people were say, like asking us, like, is he on the Vikings? Because his Wikipedia page says he is. <laughs> I, um, I should do that. I should go to different free agents' Wikipedia pages and see, see assign them to a team. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I think that Anthony Harris uh, staying on the franchise tag as opposed to getting a long-term deal that could have lowered his cap hit in year one, that kind of eliminates getting anybody who is going to sign for anything more than just – 
a uh, veteran minimum. Yeah, like right. it's a one year. I think you, if you want to go cheap and you want to, and if there are any guys left that are going to be willing to go as low as the veteran minimum, or even maybe just above that, you're probably doing that like at the beat, like, you know, right as they are getting on the field. Yeah. Um, so maybe middle of August, but I also think that, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's kind of necessary because Mike Hughes is not this expendable piece. I mean, the guy's been injured. Don't, don't forget he's coming off a neck injury. Remember he had that like at the end of last year in December and they're like, yeah. Oh yeah, by the way, Mike Hughes has a fractured neck. Um, what? Like when did that happen? Um, but no, I mean, he, he, his best fit is a nickel. He is a nickel corner in the, in this NFL, like for, for, for sure. I mean, he was playing it as a rookie before he got hurt some, um, he's played it before, you know, I do think that that's a position you don't want to really screw around with. And, you know, but can you, can you really trust that Holton Hill is going to be ready for one of those outside spots? Or do you have to put Mike Hughes out there and Jeff Gladney starting opposite him? And then if you could get a veteran somewhere in there just to play nickel for the time being, maybe that's the route you go. Hey, before we get back to the conversation, I want to remind you that sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. There's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your favorite team to come back. Bet Online has future odds on win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out our daily simulations of Madden NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. The wild card here is uh, Chris Boyd who yeah. played a bit in Week 17 and had some great moments and had some not great moments. I, I've seen quite a few cornerbacks uh, running a completely different direction from Allen Robinson, who is way better than the quarterbacks he's ever had. I think Allen Robinson is an elite receiver who's had Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky as his quarterbacks. But uh, I, I watched that back, looking focusing on Chris Boyd, and he made some impressive, ag- aggressive plays, great tackles. Um, and he's somebody that they've talked about a lot in the offseason as having potential here, and it's him against Holton Hill for an outside corner position, I think, and that's locking Jeff Gladney in. Because if there's any corner that's going to be able to make that transition pretty quick, I think it's Jeff Gladney with the amount of experience that he had at uh, TCU. So Mm -hmm. uh, that will be a very interesting battle. And then who is after that? uh, You know, who knows at this point? Like, is Neville Clark something? They traded for Mark Fields last year, and he played like one snap, and Julio Jones caught a touchdown on him. And then uh, Harrison Hand is also in this mix. And right now, I think it's a little tough to get Harrison Hand on the roster um, if Neville Clark has better physical skills because there are a lot of these spots on the practice squad that they're going to have with an expanded practice squad. I don't know whether it's going to be 12 or 16. So you can say, okay, the guy's fifth-round pick, but he wasn't ready. Let's just stick him on the practice squad. The bottom, I don't know who's going to be battling out for those positions. Yeah. What are your odds on Dantzler or Chris Boyd taking a job away from Holton Hill? Uh, I mean, we need to figure out where Holton Hill's at. We need to figure out, like, the level of trust that this team has that he can kind of keep it together this year and not have any of the off-field stuff. I mean, he was suspended eight games last year, but clearly they kept him around for missing half a season because they think he's one of the best cornerbacks in the building. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. something that I've talked with people about, and it does not surprise me. So I think it'd kind of be difficult for Chris Boyd or Cam Dantzler, unless on like one of the sides they decided to use a rotational basis um, and have Mike Hughes in, in the nickel and, and Jeff Gladney not like, you know, replacing, you know, playing Xavier Rhodes's role. But um, I, I just think that Holton Hill is very talented. This is probably the year that we see him actually pull it together. Um, you know, I've heard, I've heard good things about him throughout like the, you know, the preseason, mm-hmm. like the Zoom interview process and all and all that stuff. Like, I I think Chris Boyd, though, what he did on special teams last year makes him a lock for me on this roster and yes. also just with, like the depth issues that they yes. have. I, I'm giving this seven because this is Mike Zimmer's position. It's a position that they really need to fix. And I honestly think that blowing it up might be the best thing for this group, like what they did with getting rid of their three starters last year, mm-hmm. just because – 
it's going to be a learning curve. How steep that learning curve is, we don't really know yet until we, they get out there. And obviously, we have an, we can anticipate it will be very steep because we know how difficult it is and what's required of corners in Mike Zimmer's defense. But, you know, a lot of them fit the prototype of what he likes in project guys. A Cam Dantzler who looks slight um, just in terms of build, but – he is also somebody that, you know, Mike Zimmer, that's that's not an issue to him. So, I mean, I think that those guys, Chris Boyd and Cam Dancer, could, they could jockey for a backup role for sure. I do not think they will surpass Holton Hill, though, and, and take a starting job from him. Yeah, I agree. And um, I, I know that some people were annoyed at a clip that we posted from the podcast when Sam Ekstrom and I were talking about the odds on Holton Hill that it's 50-50, it either goes one way or another. The one way is that he is a really good player, I think, and starts and plays every snap, or this just goes sideways and he ends up not on the team and they go forward with other people. I think that those odds are, are pretty fair either way. If they have their preference, the Vikings, certainly he would be a starting outside corner. And if you have Holton Hill with some experience there, Jeff Gladney is a first-round pick, and Mike Hughes is a first-round pick inside, there is a very little experience, but you also have a lot of talent with those three, and you've got a chance because I think that's the biggest question mark by far on the defense is how are these corners going to play. Mm-hmm. Now, it's safety. This would be one on trivia night to ask people, who are the Vikings' <laughs> backup safeties? Uh, have you heard of Miles Dorn? Because that's a guy who's going to be legitimately competing for a backup spot. This is where, Courtney, if Harrison Smith or Anthony Harris gets a hangnail they're in trouble. I mean, yeah. I don't think Brian Cole or Josh Metellus or Miles Dorn, I don't think these guys are anywhere close as late picks or undrafted free agents to being reliable to fill in in the NFL, especially with this offseason. And this is the position where if you're going to sign a veteran minimum guy, I think you sign him right here at safety because yeah, corner would be nice to get Logan Ryan and then you're you're kind of set sure. there. But uh, or even Drake Kirkpatrick, because then you have a veteran. But where you desperately need it, because you just don't have bodies, is probably at safety. Yeah, I, I've got I've got them keeping the two draft picks. Yeah, like Brian Cole and Josh Metellus, and you know they're day three guys, so they obviously are not complete finished products just yet. But you know, given what that safety group is going to be asked to do this year, just to kind of overcompensate, overcompensate in a way like they did last year when the past defense, you know, finished 15th after finishing, you know, third and second, I think respectively, the two prior years, like there's a lot that's going to be relied upon with Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. So yeah, well, you do have arguably the top safety tandem in the NFL. One of those guys goes down and fortunately, Harrison Smith has not had any injury issues um, that I can recall. Same thing with Anthony Harris. I mean, Anthony Harris is a byproduct um, of taking an opportunity when there were injury issues with Anderson Dejo. So um, to me, that's, I I think that you're going to have just a young core of backups, but even last year when this was kind of the case and um, his name escapes me now, but the guy that they ended up trading to Philly to get, um, uh, Anderson Dejo back in the trade. I mean, that guy was whoever he Marcus, is. Marcus Epps. Mar- Marcus Epps. Miss from, you, Marcus. From Wyoming. Um, I mean, he was, you know, he made the roster. I think it's like, I think they kept three on the roster last year. Obviously, well, they included J. Ron Smith in, uh, in there as well. So, um, J. Ron Curse, excuse yeah. me. That's, yeah. <laughs> been a while um he's the only J Ron everybody would have figured it out yeah so I mean they've you know it's it's the having rookie depth at safety um for a team that struggled with its past defense last year is kind of jarring and it's probably a scary place to be in if you do indeed have uh issues to your first two guys that I mentioned but I don't I don't know enough about Miles Dorn. I don't know enough about any of the other guys that they're bringing into camp. Um, I don't think they've – I mean, I think they've got like five or six total. I think it's really going to come down to probably Brian – because Metellus was drafted before. I think it's going to come down to Brian Cole or Miles Dorn for that fourth spot. There's definitely a game in here where I read the bios of Miles Dorn, Josh Metellus, and Brian Cole, and you have to guess which one is which. Uh, anyway, so last thing I wanted to ask you, Courtney, because I, I think the defense is really, really high on the list uh, from almost every level here. Linebacker, less so, but the defensive line and the secondary, 
are extremely high on the list of camp storylines of just who's going to end up with roles. And, and uh, you know, we're not going to know if Afadi Adenabo could be a full-time starter until games actually start. But we will know, is he going to move inside? Are they going to uh, – on third downs? Are they going to have other players rotate in? Does James Lynch look like he can play? Those are things we will figure out over the next month or so that will be fascinating to look at. And the same with the cornerbacks of even just – Who's playing with the first team on a daily basis will be interesting with the cornerbacks. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about was just uh, Eric Eager was on the podcast a few days ago, and he justified himself on his own podcast saying that he thinks the Vikings are a 6-10 and 10 team. Do you think that the Vikings are more likely – to go six and ten. ten. Yep, yep. There's a whole podcast dedicated. Yeah, I had him pick the Vikings. Love Eric, but man, that threw me for a loop. It was was aggressive. It was aggressive. Um, And part of it was, I think, tongue-in-cheek. But (laughs) also, there is a world where if things go wrong, they go six and ten. I mean – Oh, for sure. You lose Harrison Smith for six weeks. uh, Kirk gets COVID. Justin Jefferson can't play. Like, I I think he can, but – you would have thought Laquan Treadwell could too. So, like, there is a world where this happens. But do you think it's more likely that they would go, let's not even go as aggressive as 6-10, and 7-9 and nine or 11-5? and five, Which would be more likely? Well, you know me. I'm a skeptic to take uh... – to take always take the underdog on that one. I would take the seven. It's more likely for them to go 7-9, and nine, but – you know, I did a podcast the other day just on how the NFC North is going to shape up, and it's so confusing um, to me when you look at the Packers and the stuff that they didn't do this year. Like, I mean, everywhere you look, the odds makers put the Vikings as the favorites to win the NFC North. And for those of us who cover the team, you're wondering, okay, are you guys not actually considering the fact that this defense is was stripped down in a lot of places to to the studs, and they're trying to you know rebuild from there. So. I don't know. I um I can't see 11 and 5. I just can't. I just that's not, you know, for me this team got worse in a way when they lost to Fon Diggs. Um is the offensive line better? It very well could be, but we don't know where Ezra Cleveland's going to play. We don't know, you know, we we just don't know what those two guard spots look like. I think we can project, but you know, there's Justin Jefferson supposed to be the replacement for Stephon Diggs. Will he be ready? Can Adam Thielen actually handle a true number one role? Mm-hmm. All those questions are stuff you have to consider, and I think it's just too much cart before the horse to say 11-5. and five. Like, I think I projected them at 10-6 and six when I did my, you know, initial thing back in April after the draft. And that's – or in May. That's – that's the ceiling for me. This team yeah. is a ten and six ceiling. I think nine and seven is probably more realistic. Seven and nine though is the worst case scenario, and I'd be more willing to go worst case scenario just because, you know, at some point this year, mark my words, the league is going to shut down because of COVID. Um, do we make it eight games before that happens? Is it seven? I don't know, but um, depending, that could help the Vikings. If they're, you know, if it's just things are not going well and then they have more time to go to the drawing board and figure it out and, you know, but you're dealing with a lot of young players on defense. Um, you know, the offense really has kind of become the strength of this team, which is just showing you is, you know, the tides have been turning here for the last few years with, you know, the, the system that they installed with Kevin Stefanski and then Gary Kubiak and running his offense and everything else. Um, I just, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that, the offense will be the issue this year. I just think that the defense has so much to prove and so much we just don't know yet. And it's if you don't have OTAs, if you don't have minicamp, you don't have all the things that they lost out on, the learning curve is going to be so steep. So, you know, the difference between 9-7 and seven and 7-9 seven and nine is, you know, is a playoff spot. But I think that these are types of games that, you know, if you've got Aaron Rodgers and you've got – Drew Brees and Tom Brady, and you've got young cornerbacks. Who do you think they're going to be picking on? Like, yep. that's that's where I go with it. Yeah, the, his main argument was the opposing quarterback schedule is twice as hard as it was last year, and he's not wrong about that, that it is a lot tougher, and they are in a situation with inexperienced players. I think in order to get to 11-5, and five, you have to walk a tightrope of being extremely healthy and, and having all the things that are question marks click, which we do see. Uh, from time to time. 2017 is a great example where every question mark 
just didn't become a question mark, and they were completely healthy through the whole year. Last year is a lot of that. Last year is you end up facing some backup quarterbacks like Brandon Allen for Denver. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can bet that Drew Locke would have won that game, I think, if he had been playing against the Vikings and you know, not thrown a horrendous interception or finished off a drive or whatever. So you, you end up with that. Um, you end up pay, playing David Blau, which certainly helped for getting a pretty easy victory against the Detroit Lions. And who knows which backup quarterbacks you'll end up facing this year. But the schedule is pretty tough all the way through in terms of quarterbacks. So, um, you know, in order to get there to 11-5, and five, you have to have, I think, a lot of things align into a sort of perfect harmony uh, you you have to have Mike Hughes healthy for 16 games. You have to have Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris stay healthy for 16 games. Afadi Adenabo has to become a beast. He has to get 10 sacks, right, in, in order to get to that. So 7-9 and nine probably is more likely um, for this team overall. So the next time we podcast, Courtney, I think we're going to have a lot of answers on stuff, don't you think? Mm-hmm. We're going to podcast next week, right? So we're going to have no answer whatsoever. Right. Well, we could know when – Things are going to happen. True. I hope. Like, True. I mean, just in terms of, like, actual football-y football. Um, and maybe not. an answer on Zimmer and Cook. Possibly. Well, maybe. Maybe, depending maybe. upon if we're doing this next week. But, you know. Tune in then. I think the hardest thing for me this off season has been trying to write all of this preview content based on, you know, our team's better or worse in certain areas. Are they the same? How, you know how much better can a team get just because we lost out on 10 weeks of a very important part where you can start to see, all right, what are the changes going to look like? Can they actually work? So um, that's the hard part. And I think that even in training camp, when people are going to ask us about position battles and things like that, it's still going to be kind of a crapshoot, especially early on because, you know, guys are inevitably as Eric Sugarman, their head athletic trainer and infection control officer yesterday told us that like they're anticipating that guys are going to get sick and they're going to have COVID. Um, And how is that going to affect position battles? It's going to be the most bizarre training camp that we've ever covered ever that anybody's probably ever covered. And we Um, thought it was weird to cover Corey Vedvik. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would take a kicker punter bizarro world that we were in last year and guys running off the field because they didn't want to talk to us about them bringing in this wonder kid who got cut (laughs) on a cut down day. But I would take that over anything right about now. I definitely miss those days. He did get a standing ovation when he kicked alone on a field with one of those standing tees from about 60 yards out, Corey Vedvik, after they traded for him. So fans were excited that day. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And it will be certainly weird without fans out there and and everything else. It's going to be an extremely strange feeling covering camp, but we will be there for you both uh, in person and then, you know, will tell you what's going on here on the podcast. So I appreciate, as always, your time, uh, Courtney, and we'll get together again soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Purple Insider.